Outpost Spaceport Stories. Please stow away all weapons, consumables, and animal companions. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Hexgrid Heroes Starfinder Podcast. I want to thank you again for uh, joining us on this adventure. I hope you really enjoyed those three prologues that we provided for you. Unfortunately, due to scheduling conflicts, I won't be able to put out the first chapter of our campaign with the entire group together. However, at the behest of a, a dear, dear friend to the show, who I will definitely be having on at some point, I'd like to introduce to you the very first Hexgrid Heroes Spaceport Stories. Now, this is going to be a range of different kind of shows where I'll have a, a friend of the show on to run them through a little one-shot, maybe a, a flashback episode, maybe just a chat show, which is what this is going to be this time. Because with me, via the magic of Discord, is the first friend of the show of the Hexgrid Heroes podcast, Sean. Now, before I let Sean talk, I'm going to hype him up a little bit. He got me into Discord. Uh, he, I don't remember how he found me. Uh, maybe he has an answer for that. But he introduced me to a lot of other shows. He brought me in on his Discord server, the Hive of... I'm not going to butcher, butcher that name, but uh, there will be a link in the description. But he invited me into this community, and through this community, I have gained so many friends and I'm not prone to hyperbole, but he is a, a cornerstone in my sanity during this entire podcasting process. He's introduced me to so many friends. We've done a lot of fun things together, and we're going to continue to do fun things together. Uh, follow him on Twitter, at Eldritch Dream. Definitely check out his Discord, and then check out ours. His is way more lively, and he's got a lot more fun things to do. But definitely let him know that you found him through me, so I can return the favor a little bit. So, I'd like to introduce you, my dear friend, Sean. Hello, everybody. I cast messages. This is the magic of Discord. <laughs> Thanks again for doing this. Uh, I know it was kind of last minute. Uh, this will be fun. Thanks for joining me. So, could you fill in a couple of those gaps? How the hell did you find my little podcast? I'm not going to lie. I don't specifically oh, cool. remember cool I'm uh, glad. <laughs> to, i i know it was on twitter yep uh i think it's because it was starfinder and i was going through and i was looking for pathfinder and starfinder stuff mm. and uh and i came i came across the old uh hex grid mm-hmm Yes, and, and then, uh, we're not going to delve too much into the old hex grid. Just know that, right. listeners, what you're getting now is a vast improvement. But uh, yes. it, it it's how I met all these cool people. It's how I have any audience whatsoever. And honestly, one of the these people that I've met are some of the reasons that why I'm still in the game, the podcast game anyway. I'd still be playing. But uh, you guys have just been so fucking cool. And I'm so glad that it wasn't like something really big that I have forgotten we both don't know how we ran into each other but we have and we're grateful and uh as a as a note listeners you're going to hear some meowing in the background sean's setup is so cool in that he has a live audience whenever we meet 
got a couple cats. Not a big deal. They're fun. He calls them tavern cats in his projects. Um, and we will get to what those projects are afterwards. But uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and congratulations to Sean are in order for if you're listening to this when this drops. Saturday, July 13th. Um, he has now uh, celebrated one year of his uh, production company. You want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, so I created uh, an Eldritch Dream Games uh, uh, about a year ago, and it started out just as like a brand name for uh, me making third-party stuff for... It started out as uh, a brand name for me making third-party stuff for Pathfinder. And now it's, you know, it it's still that, but I'm also making Pat, uh, two Pathfinder podcasts that we produce. I make monsters every week, uh, pretty much, that I put out, and those are free for everybody. Uh, they are Pathfinder-based. And... Uh, it's related to the hive of Edgar Thuxth that um, that's our discord. Uh, we have shirts, we have uh, a Patreon, we have all sorts of stuff. Edgar Thuck. Edgar Thuxth. Edgar Thuxth. Yes. Okay. I said it the second time correctly. All right. So yeah, I usually just say it's the hive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, real quick, that's a God in your, in your fantasy world that you've created, correct? Uh, yes. Edgar Thuth is the shining queen or the crystal empress. Uh, she is an outer God, which is kind of like, uh, not like Cthulhu. Cthulhu is a great old one, but like the gods of the great old ones, um, eldritch gods. And she's a giant, essentially, psionic crystal that floats through space and grabs things with nebulonic tentacles and flings herself at massive speeds through space and has a hive of uh, transmuted followers that uh, go with her pretty much everywhere. Um, Does... Does she ever show up on a planet and just shout to the entire populace, show me what you've got? <laughs> uh, not quite, but uh, oh. she she does <laughs> she does show up and um, when she when she starts touching uh, people's minds, uh, mm-hmm. they're filled with a sense of love and belonging. Oh nice. Uh, because I've known you for about a year now. I didn't think she'd be uh, love-y at all. I thought it was, she'd be a dark, powerful god. Oh, she because, most uh, certainly is. If, if you accept Edgar Thuth into your heart, uh, you turn into a horrible, terrifying monster over time. Oh, okay. See, that's more on brand. Cool. So, yeah, definitely check out the Hive of Edgar Thuth on Discord. I'll definitely be having links to all these. But, yeah, that's where I spend... I mean, if I'm not on Twitter, scrolling or Instagram, I'm hanging out with several, I mean, several 
a dozen easily of different shows of uh, the cast of those shows. We hang out, we play games uh, and, and you've kind of, I mean, you're not just a cornerstone for me, but so many shows that we both listen to and, and love have gone on to make their own discord. Sure. But I mean, I'd never have found many of the podcasts that I look forward to each week if it wasn't for you and your hive. So again, thank you for everything. Uh, but that's, I mean, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm gushing with uh, appreciation, but really what this episode is going to be doing is we're going to delve into some questions. And uh, Sean is a content creator of third party monsters and he's done some magic items. You did magic items uh, that one month, right? Uh, yeah. I had one month where I did yeah. magic items instead of monsters. And I had uh, the next month after that, I did uh, a collaboration with uh, some for uh, women in tabletop month. Uh, oh, yes. where I uh, I collaborated on four different goddesses uh, for Pathfinder as well. Cool. So because of Sean's dearth of Pathfinder knowledge and because of the uh, relative um, unknown that is the Starfinder setting, both done by Paizo, uh, I asked him to come on to, you know, shoot me a couple questions beforehand so I could look like I know what I'm talking about. But I wanted to kind of get get some questions from a Pathfinder. I'm going to call him an expert. I call you an expert. I mean, I go Thank to you. you with any like anything Pathfinder. I think I'm like, you know, who probably knows about this? Sean. Uh, so uh, we, I asked a couple questions. And uh, do you remember them? Uh, I remember... First off, the first one to come to my mind is mm -hmm. uh, that, like, I'm really fond of the planes in Pathfinder, and uh, I've heard you talk a little bit about the drift, but mm -hmm. not really other planes. So, mm -hmm. like, the inner planes, the outer planes, transient planes, like the, the shadow plane and uh, ethereal plane. Are they still a thing? Are they kind of muted, not mentioned much? Uh, how's that all work? Okay. Uh, I did do research on this. Everyone lives on the material plane, obviously. The drift plane I will get to in a moment. But uh, really, the only other planes that are strictly mentioned is the shadow plane, which, as you know, way more than I am, but I'm going to kind of truncate it down to its uh, finer points, is it is the barrier plane between the negative... Uh, negative energy plane and the material plane. Is that right? Uh, yes. Uh, yep. in, in a weird way, um, if it's still the same as it is in Pathfinder, assuming something hasn't broken the cycle, which would be horrifying, mm. um, the entire uh, breadth of the planes are oddly kind of like a battery. You have the positive energy plane as like the positive charge, and souls come out of it and flow naturally throughout uh, the planes um, and heads towards the negative energy plane. Uh, it first passes like the first world, which is the Feywild for anyone that's more mm -hmm. familiar with D&D uh, &D style stuff. And makes its way through the outer planes, drops off a few souls here and there in various planes as it flies by 
and then eventually makes its way to the negative energy plane where undead are the natural form of life mm-hmm. uh and the shadow plane uh just like the the first world is this weird kind of like barrier world uh to the positive energy plane the shadow plane is the same way except the shadow plane's a lot closer to the material plane it's, it's a transient plane it's a lot easier to get there yes and it is easier to get there i uh did some research and uh there are some starfinder uh modules that you can play in where you do visit these places and they named a couple i'm not going to name them now because i don't have the page up but um but yes so the shadow plane is definitely seen and visited and we i've talked about it i've hinted about it and i'm going to talk about it more in the campaign proper but uh so this episode i should say and spaceport stories are not going to always be in the uh direct canon of the show itself they're just going to be fun things that i think of and this is what we're going to do for this one uh but yes so the drift plane is a plane of existence like the other planes uh i don't have a cool graphic i can put up but i can maybe find some on uh, pinterest or something but uh basically what happens so let me let me backtrack so the pathfinder world that sean knows and loves that i've played in with him on that was the planet of Galarian. Uh, Starfinder takes place way down the line. So uh, sometime around, sometime in the Galarian Pathfinder world setting future, there is this millennia long gap of unknown. They don't know exactly what happened, what caused it, who caused it. Although there are people that have uh, clues, ideas, and suspicions. And I will be getting into that in the show proper. But basically, this giant gap was with everything. Uh, people just woke up one day and like, oh, this is the world we live in. Oh, I don't know what happened to my ancestors. They just kind of just, there's a, a blank in the tape. And uh, most of the peoples of the packed worlds, though, the, the, the setting that the Hex Grid Heroes Starfinder campaign takes place in, just moved on. They uh they just, you know, like, oh, this is the world, you know, like, oh, I have to live, I have to survive. So, you know, instead of like a post-apocalyptic, you start in a, a wasteland, <laughs> we have hover cars and people can attune to uh, solar powers and explode. And, oh, all these alien races are living together and we go to different planets. So that was the short races, you know, the, uh, the rat people, the Ahsoki, uh, the humans, the dwarves, the halflings. They all just kind of like, meh, got to move on to get along. Um, the elves, on the other hand, are long-lived, as they are in the Pathfinder world. So some of these long-lived people had these hazy memories, feelings of things from before, and they didn't know why or how. And um, so after the gap, uh, the setting of the of our game is the year 317 AG after Gap. So for the last 317 years, the elves normally depicted, um, I don't want to, you know, shoehorn elves, but uh, from what I always thought of elves is, you know, kind of ethereal, uh, badass is sure, wise beyond anything. Well, over those 317 years, the elves of the Pact Worlds have 
become cold, distant, isolationists, because uh, many of them have clues and had some of them had some sort of realization that someone or something did this. They did the gaffe to them and uh, they can't move on. They won't move on. So they're kind of, I mean, if I can use a, I'm going to use a parallel to another property, the, uh, the Romulans of Star Trek, you know, they're, they're secretive. They don't trust anything, but they're still connected. And, you know, there's still, you know, some elves are still integrated into packed world society itself, but uh, they've kind of, they're kind of guarding themselves from any more of this fuckery. Um, and that leads me to the drift, this, this plane of existence, this plane of existence, I assume like all planes of existence are always there, but the way that the drift is accessed was by a God. And this God is a different God from the pathfinder gods that uh, you may know, Sean. Uh, there was this God called triune. And this God was actually comprised of uh, three other beings. Uh, one being Epoch, an artificial deity that was created by a, a machine race on a planet. There was uh, an AI God called Cassandali and someone called Bree, a living construct. Um, I don't know if they're called Warforged in Pathfinder. Sean? Uh no, there are no Warforged in Pathfinder. Okay, the that, closest thing are the okay. Weirwood. Okay, uh, and those aren't mentioned. So yeah, there's just a, a living construct. So these three beings merged somehow uh, three years after the gap and everyone woke up and they ascended to, ascended to um, godhood. And uh, they have, you know, unique personalities. They all kind of merged into this, they, they call it the... Uh, an integrated artificial intelligent deity. And this deity had access to the drift and they beseeched all of the peoples of the packed worlds, not just, you know, the good ones. They transmitted this signal and it's called the signal. And they transmitted this to everyone across the packed worlds of knowledge of how to access uh, technology to access because this drift technology, this drift plane is only accessible through technology no amount of magic no uh no force besides technology can breach this into this thing so it's kind of peculiar in that way the the drift is a way of ships technologically entering this plane uh traveling for a time and then popping back into the material plane where their computers tell them that they were supposed to go uh before this drift engine or uh this drift technology, much like uh, the horror movie Event Horizon, I hope most of you have seen that. Uh, they would they would traverse into another plane, sure, but those planes, you know, sometimes they take a shortcut. These uh, magical and technological ships would jump into a hell dimension or a heaven dimension. Sometimes they go through the first worlds, but then they they shoot back into the material plane, kind of unreliably, approximately where they need to be. This drift plane was uh, much more streamlined. Uh, a god straight up gave the ability to all these people to do it. And it takes time, sure. But uh, it's much uh, more efficient and relatively safer than uh, the previous way they were doing that. So that, long, long story short, is uh, how planes are seen. They're not really touched on too much more than that because this system is only about two years old and they're constantly expanding.
Uh, so I, I have a kind of a follow-up to some of what you said there, uh, going back to the gap. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, th this is just something that I think of. So everybody forgot like the last thousand years, basically. Thousands. Yeah, they definitely say thousands. it's thousands of okay. years. Yeah, I, I meant to say millennia. So yeah, multiple thousands of years have passed in this. They don't know exactly how many. Uh, and the, the crazy thing about the gap is um, results vary. Uh, you, you go to one planet's uh, archaeological sites and you know they kind of are able to carbon date. And they do say carbon date. They use all the fancy tech that we know here on Earth. And they've, and they've kind of like, they've tried. They've tried their damnedest um, whole... Uh, fortunes have been spent by various races and various governments and cultures to figure out more of the gap, but it's just, it's unreliable. They just know there is a huge chunk of time missing from uh, personal uh, historical and archeological uh, record. So like a big thing that I was wondering about it is when they finally came out of it, when they went, Holy shit, we don't remember anything. How did they just not blow up every spaceship ever? That is a very good question because uh, they kind of did. They kind of almost did, I should say. Uh, so the planet of Galarian, uh, when they woke up after the gap, Galarian is gone. In its place, floating in its spot in the cosmos, is a uh, about 20 square mile space station called Absalom Station. Uh, and on it were thousands of peoples of every race, every alien race were all, all represented there. But none of them really knew what the hell was going on. So there were like a cornered person. They just kind of all attacked each other. They didn't know who to blame, what was going on. So they all kind of just fought. And in the resulting gang wars and uh, uh, skirmishes, or catastrophic damage was done on the space station. And everyone's uh, mutually assured destruction was imminent and they banded together, patched it up and realized, Oh, we came close to uh, oblivion, all of us. So they banded together and they became um, not one people, but they, they, uh, they set aside their differences, their cultures and everything. And that's funny is everyone had their history of their culture, but nothing past that. So all these people came together, got Absalom station up and running each of the, uh, the peoples of the, Packed worlds is the name of the solar system. They all banded together and they like, okay, this is where people can go that is safe. This is a safe place. And um, so, yeah, they've some people very nearly did just blow everything up because they didn't know. So that's a very good question. And I was going to delve into that. I'm going to delve into that in uh, future kind of stories of uh, <laughs> how people handled this realization that their history is gone and they're in this new world okay so uh it sounds like whatever whoever however the gap happened they're like cherry-picked senses of memories that are still present essentially like you yes. say they remember their culture and stuff yes yep and and that's that's one of the more maddening things about this that like it's it's and there are, you know, speculation among different cultures of it's got to be a trickster god. It's got to be a, uh, you know, they they dis their ancestors displeased a good god. That you know, I mean, run the gamut, and you know, there's going to be like every origin story. This is just a, another origin 
for uh, cultures, religions to uh, go to war about and, you know, spend their entire lives, spend uh, all this effort to learn. And that's kind of what the Starfinders do also. And they, uh, in that they seek out um, scraps, tidbits of knowledge to kind of piece it together because, you know, the elves handled it poorly. They became what they became. Everyone else was kind of moved on, but still uh, the Starfinder Society, much like the Pathfinder Society in Old Galarian, they want to know. They need to know. And that's kind of their purpose in the, the verse. I find it interesting that the... Uh... The elves, they, they've gone off and become isolationists. And in the history of Pathfinder, uh, the elves at some point, for the most part, kind of bailed out on Galarian uh, through the mm -hmm. elf gates for, I think, a, a thousand years or so uh, mm -hmm. during Darkfall, I think, was the time period. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, I actually do remember that story. And they kind of have done that a lot. And uh, they had they did do that in Starfinder, the uh the main place where you find elves when they're not you know patrolling on their own ships just you know refusing uh anyone that's not an elf they uh they largely set up camp on a uh, kind of jungle world called Castravel which has these gates these uh what would you call did you call them elf gates yeah that's uh that's what they're called in Pathfinder uh basically because only elves know how to use them yeah, that's and they basically have that too. A lot of them are now ruins, but uh, yeah, that's kind of where uh, and that's what some speculation is that the elves kind of fucked off from Galarian again, or those that had already left Galarian before its disappearance. Um, just kind of those were the elves now. So yeah, it is it is uh, funny how history kind of repeated itself. I kind of wonder if Castrovel then is actually where the elves originally went. Uh... Could be. Yep, and I haven't done too much exploration into that, and uh, I think now is a good time to say that as as close as possible, I like following the established lore setting because uh, I'm not as creative as the entire staff of Paizo, <laughs> but also because it's such a well-written thing that it's fun for me to play in their sandbox, and I can make the changes, I can make uh, the additions I want, but also it's two years into the system they could, you know, say like, oh, you know, here's a, here's an adventure path that directly uh, touches on what that is. Well, it doesn't make me a liar, but in my established lore, I'm following what I have here now. Pathfinder setting has 10 plus years now. Yeah. They just celebrated their 10th year and they're rolling out their second edition. So, um, yeah, it, it'd be cool to play with that. And uh, as time goes on, as the player characters I have, start exploring the uh the worlds of the pact worlds i could absolutely uh see myself delving into what happened to the elves because the elves are hugely vital in the fantasy sense that you know everyone basically every fantasy setting you think of there's elves so yeah i would definitely love to explore that uh, i'm going to move on to the next one okay question if you want to if you want to if you remember it, it was about magic and old magic yes uh so would would with uh I, i've heard the description somewhere that uh in starfinder nobody really like there's not wizards hardly anymore because why you know do all this studying just to be able to cast acid splash or scorching ray when you can go 
like down to the corner shop and pick up a fucking pistol that'll do the same thing basically <laughs> yep. so are there still people who practice old school magic even though it's like less convenient than the magitech of uh starfinder yep uh again that kind of goes back to the uh the gap and something that the peoples during that time must have lost these people of the current area uh, the current age woke up with all this technology uh with not that tradition and um so the way I'm kind of playing it is these people are so reliant on technology that those old ways have passed on, uh, not just gone because I, I feel like there's got, there's bound to be pockets, uh, colonies of long forgotten people that didn't um, acclimate to technology. They, they adhere to those stricter older ways. So yeah, I'm absolutely leaving the door open to uh, finding an old school wizard or sorcerer and, you know, maybe not out of space, out of time sort of thing. Like uh, some of our uh, friends podcasts have done what I, what I'm thinking of. And I've thought about this long and hard actually is because at some point I'd like to have as many of my online friends in on this game as possible. And they come from more fantasy worlds. I would love if they, if they don't want to do a Magitech and I know some people it's not their flavor. If they want to be like, Hey, I'm a wizard. Well, that's fine. You know, you know, this settlement of half elves have, you know, stuck to the uh the old ways you know they have sorcerers they have all these things and i still want to uh be able to play with that there will be some conversion needing to be done because uh the the, the magic i've seen in countless uh, forums is a lot of the general consensus is magic is inherently weaker in starfinder and that's basically because they have become more reliant on technology so yeah i'm definitely going to be playing with that yeah, I could definitely see where um, having to make concentration checks is not yes. nearly as uh, good when somebody's just going to unload a level four spell into you every round. <laughs> yes, uh, I will. I will say though, there are concentration checks and the like in there. It's just uh, they're a little different spells. And you know, if you look at the spell list of Pathfinder, and we have in one of our shows, we have the access of all these lengthy spells the uh, spell lists of the different classes of starfinder there's only technically two spellcaster classes right now there's a third one coming down the line that's now done with beta but two kind of just two spell lists and there's a little bit of crossover so you know you don't need to have acid splash when you have that you don't need um I mean, Fireball is still around, I believe. I haven't gotten high enough to play with that yet. But all these things, I mean, grenades. I mean, grenades take the place of most of your AOE spells right there, just, you know, different forms. So these peoples have become more reliant on tech. So, yes. Uh, but I absolutely would love to play with, you know, uh, a traveling hermit who read the books, you know. And, and something that the Starfinders do is when they go out to look for these scraps of technology or uh, pieces of the past they'll come across relics of the old days. They'll come across a scroll and kind of, you know, if they can read it, uh, laugh at how they pulled this off because uh, scrolls and wands are uh, very different in the Starfinder system. Um, I guess kind of in a sim similar vein. Uh, like, so in Starfinder, you've got guns, grenades, like really high tech 
weapons that can take somebody down from you know a hundred feet away mm-hmm. why why do uh characters and and people still use things like spears swords i think they're called plasma glaives uh oh there are plasma glaives there's dragon glaives uh yes um yeah uh for the same reason why we have them today in our own world uh you know there's there's culture reasons definitely there's going to be culture reasons why some races uh and classes will have melee weapons uh the solarian class specifically has this energy weapon that's you know not exactly an analog to lightsabers but i like to think of them as that hmm. but it's uh the way i'm playing it with it is you'll never have your sword jam uh, your tactical spear, while you know a little unwieldy, never runs out of ammo. So I'm I'm just kind of like you know it in a in a world where you have all this magic, you know you run out of magic. Uh, every mechanically, you know you will run out of spells in a day, and if you're constantly fighting, you're going to have to resort to some sort of uh, up close and personal sort of damage. Ammo runs out, uh, and a thing about the uh, ammo in Starfinder, I should say, is it's not always bullets. Battery packs, you know, you can, you know, take the battery pack out of your personal computer, slap it in your gun, you got another 20 charges, and that's all well and good, but if you're hip-deep in alien monsters and slugs and outsider beasts and silicon-based flying bats, uh, (laughs) you're gonna have to uh, have a melee weapon at the ready in those uh, times. Uh, in in those instances so i feel like uh replacing your batteries though is probably a lot easier in starfinder than it was in uh numeria in pathfinder (laughs) where you had to scavenge for them like so you just pop down to the corner store grab a battery and your gun's good to go again uh for later yep Yep, uh, scavenge it. Uh, most, uh, I should say, uh, there are other types of weapons other than just analog or batteries. There are plasma guns that require plasma cells. Shock, there's uh, one of my characters, Orin, a uh, Vesk soldier, has uh, what's called a bravado hand cannon. And it is a uh, handgun, but it uses shotgun shells. Nice. So uh, there, there are going to be instances where ammo is going to need to be hoarded, purchased, but uh, largely, if you stick with a standard, uh, uh, a standard, <laughs> I say standard, a standard azimuth laser pistol, you can scavenge and uh, cannibalize pretty well. Cool. Yep. Um, so, Kasatha, I think, were born in uh, Starfinder and then later ported to Pathfinder. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, as as a race, I know relatively uh, little about their homeworld, other than the point that, like, they had a dying red sun or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is me having uh, played one in Pathfinder. Um, What is it, like, this is, like, probably the most out there new race, uh, as as far as I can tell. Um, mm-hmm. what made them, uh, like, like what, what's their world like? Cause I know they have something in the packed world, something. Yes. Uh, yes. And you're absolutely right. They did come from a, uh, another solar system that had a dying red sun 
And by the time Starfinder is happening, uh, listeners are probably familiar with the idea of colony ships. What the Kasatha did, Kasatha, however you want to pronounce it, the into kind of explain the Kasatha real quick. They kind of have a conical shaped head, but not quite cone head. Um, four arms, which is distinctive, uh, pale gray skin generally. But uh, one of their other cool features that I've always loved and wanted to play around with was uh, they always had their mouths covered because um, I don't know what's under there. Uh, Paizo hasn't released official art of what's under their bandanas and face shields and all that. Uh, they but have clearly... sharp teeth. Uh, because yes. there is a picture of a skeletal Kasatha that does not have a mouth covering. Okay, I'll have to post that on all of uh, my social medias because I definitely want to see that. So what for whatever reason, uh, whether it be vanity or practicality with uh, softer, uh, more squeamish races, they keep their mouths covered and always kind of fascinated me. Kind of Tusken Raider vibes sort of thing. So, uh, so the Kasatha, they left their solar system sometime. <laughs> the gap it plays hell with uh with uh theories but uh by the time the starfinder setting is up and running there is a uh starship called the adari i-d-a-r-i and it is this world ship filled with uh all of the kasatha that came over and uh it's parked in orbit a little bit past absalon station yes it's parked a little bit past the Absalom station just in front of this asteroid belt and uh they just live and breathe on this world ship it, they they have their own life uh sure Kasatha will go out and embark on their own on other worlds and people are familiar with them but largely Kasatha do not allow other races onto their home ship because you know they also you know in that long trek they didn't have drift technology back then drift technology didn't become a thing until three years three years after the gap so they had to take the long way and uh that long way was generations and generations and there's stories of uh people playing with the idea of maybe they have a little more uh little more knowledge of what happened during the gap because they were so confined to that ship it was a little more difficult for them to you know jettison their entire library of information so Right now, the Kasatha home world, quote-unquote, is a, a large ship just kind of in geosynchronous orbit around the uh, sun of the pack worlds. So you mentioned that uh, asteroid field, and we've talked a little bit about this before when we were discussing gods uh, prior to this. But mm -hmm. uh, those... Excuse me, I got the hiccups. Uh, mm -hmm. Those asteroids are apparently a pair of planets that got blown to shit yes and uh, it kind of ties back to your uh very good description of how the planes worked i always thought of them as like an onion and yours just makes way more sense because there's a positive and a negative so that's uh that's much better uh, or you know i think of yggdrasil uh from norse mythology and uh thor movies uh, that's, a, that's so, a very good way to look at it too yeah yeah uh so there is another planet in the packed worlds and there's a few and we're going to be we're going to be visiting most of them uh one thing i will say about our previous campaign is uh we didn't get to explore very much of the uh alien worlds that uh i would have liked so one of my big things about this campaign is we're going to be seeing planets we're going to be going to some weird planets and one of the weirder ones 
is a planet called Eox. And the thing about Eox is its uh, main form of life is undead. Not necessarily, you know, because of the energy, the negative energy pl- uh, plane. But in the in, in the distant past of Eox, they went to war uh, with two planets. And I don't remember their names, but uh, we'll be getting into that. And I kind of want to play with some of that uh, in the campaign itself of the history of this. But basically, the planet of Eox had this world-destroying technology, and they aimed it at these two planets or one of the planets but they aimed it and it backfired and it was it was such a momentous catastrophic failure of a weapon that it warped and uh twisted everyone to a form of undead uh it's a it's 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 i feel like what i've researched it's a little different than pathfinder undead these aren't mindless zombies flesh eaters they have their own culture they have their own military they have their own starships which is uh, really screwed up and I, I think I'll post some pictures in the social media on that on some of their uh, style but basically this entire culture of undead this planet of undead and uh, and another result of this weapon was sure Eox it backfired on them but it also completely destroyed these two planets and the debris is this asteroid field called the Diaspora which um, is uh, <laughs> two whole planets smashed to bits floating around the solar system. And uh, a, a big source of income for many would be uh, the dwarves do it specifically. They, uh, they, they mine these asteroids and they mine, you know, the natural resources that would have been difficult had it been on a living world. But fortunately, these, this asshole race of undead cracked open these geodes and now they just have to mine them in this uh vacuum harvest copper gold mithril is it mithril or mithril in uh i i say mithril i've heard it both ways so that's what this asteroid field is it's two planets that just got smashed to shit and now there's a cool race and uh culture of undead to explore and knowing my players uh personal sensibilities towards the undead it's going to be kind of fun to see how that comes into play uh, like I, I think, uh, it's it's called Eox, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's kind of neat because back in Pathfinder, you had the nation of Geb, uh, or Jeb, however you want to pronounce it. Um, mm-hmm. and it was a country of undead. Um, and it was constantly at war with Nex, and between the two countries was the area known as the Mana Wastes, which were caused just by the constant magical warfare. Um, oh and yes while there's like mindless skeletons and zombies and whatnot there are actually a lot of undead that have culture that work in a society together and basically any intelligent undead is perfectly uh that's also capable of replicating in one way or another is perfectly capable of forming its own society and oh uh, one of the cool things on a planar level is that whenever there's a massive span of death over land, the negative energy plane kind of like draws closer and it starts seeping negative energy into that area huh. because as the souls leave the body, uh, and I'm not 100% sure that this is how it actually works, but this is this is my theory, uh, mm-hmm. is that as the souls leave the body and go towards the afterlife, um they are kind of like 
creating this negative feedback where they're heading towards the negative energy plane as the drawing force. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, uh, the Boneyard uh, intercepts them. But I love that. It creates this backwards feed where for all the death, there's a little bit of negative energy that goes bloop into the material plane and yep. infuses that area. So if it's a couple of dead people that don't have a particular personal trauma, you know, you're not going to end mm -hmm. up with a ghost or yeah. something like that uh, or an undead. But as the negative energy infuses mass areas, um, it sticks around. It clings. The more of it there is, the longer it lasts. And if they literally wiped out their own entire planet without destroying it to mm -hmm. let it spread out, like, I feel like that's probably how they formed uh, because the negative energy came back to their bodies and, uh, and, and just turned them all into undead. No, that's, that's brilliant because uh, another feature of the planet of Eox, it is constantly stormy. It's just, it's just, terrible to be in it's it's ravaged it's but these people that you know it's filled with radiation sort of thing and i really love that idea of that uh that that negative energy because i i think of star wars uh when alderaan was destroyed by the death star uh all those millions of people cried out in pain and were suddenly silenced as ben kenobi said like all of those souls going to the negative energy plane just becomes this vortex of negative energy and yeah that makes perfect sense out of i may uh <laughs> i might steal your uh theory and just uh poured it over because it sounds it it fits it it has a tie into star wars i mean i can't think of a better way to uh explain the eox uh and eoxians uh formation than just that it's perfect yeah like there that's one of the things i like about paizo is that they don't just go well here's the canon and this is it they leave things open for the individual gm to interpret mm -hmm. on a lot of things like uh, a good example is kobolds which in a previous conversation we've had aren't really a thing in starfinder um but like they have like three or four different creation myths one of which is like dragons came from kobolds not the other way around and so i i find that but like it doesn't tell you which one is right mm -hmm. uh or if any oh and uh, right. and and i should say uh i've i've watched uh just about every uh live stream of paizo employees talking about starfinder that i've been able to in the last two years because i was immediately hooked because i do lean more sci-fi than fantasy but i play in both as much as i can because i'm a, a glutton uh but they straight up have said on multiple occasions like you know we're probably never going to tell you canonically what paizo says causes the gap what you know what they feel on this specific thing because they straight up want us as players as storytellers and gms to craft our own lore within their lore so yeah that makes perfect sense and we were talking about the kobolds in there they're a very ambiguous uh, ancestry. And, uh, you know, between you, me, and the listeners, uh, I like the idea of kobolds so much. I never get to play with them myself. I'm just going to say maybe there's a moon that has a cave of kobolds in there somewhere. You know, maybe there's a culture. I have the power. 
<laughs> the, the way you said maybe there's a culture it made me think of like maybe there's a culture of kobolds like little bacteria kobolds maybe they're a scientific creation i mean i mean I, there's a, a big thing when i was studying uh the pathfinder setting or the uh, starfinder setting rather was uh you know they give you tips and tricks of uh you know you go to this world here's possible skirmishes and conflicts and threats for gms to use as uh you know touchstones of uh idea forming and you know mad scientists is a big one in this kind of thing mega corporations are a big thing when you have uh solar system wide businesses such as abadar core you know you know <laughs> there, there's all these huge things and uh Who's to say kobolds aren't a mad scientist creation on the planet of Triaxis where the dragons and the dragonborn and the dragonkin are from? So, yeah, I'm totally leaving the door open to a lot of things that aren't explicitly stated in the core rulebook because there's just so much to play with. And so many of my friends have these like you have these uh, have these perspectives and these these uh interests in these things that i don't really know all of because frankly speaking i don't have the experience that many of you have so i am way more about collaborative uh storytelling because yeah because kobolds i'm like oh yeah those things i saw those uh i have the there's a old school D D book i have with them on the cover and that's usually the extent of my knowledge of them but you know i get someone like you who has <laughs> who sends me links on the ancestry and the possible uh reasonings behind their creation and you know maybe it was you know turned on its head so that's why i'm really open to any of these ideas now i'd like to turn it back to you sean uh, and talk about your work some more um you have your third party content creating for pathfinder your podcasts which i've been a fan of since day one how long until it is uh your first podcast first birthday uh i forget the exact day but it i believe it's in november that was on november 15th so it'll on november 15th will be a year old there okay so just four months away and that is uh a real fun story of uh you know i'm gonna butcher it trying to you know ask you if this sounds right why don't you tell me and the listeners about the eterna podcast well let's start with that it's supposed to be a dark horror fantasy but for about the first about 30 episodes there's a whole lot of bullshittery going on and we laugh a lot and we do try and uh stay light some of the time uh just now as we're releasing we are finally getting into the really dark gritty fucked up shit that's uh going on it's on a custom world in the pathfinder universe uh it does uh, exist, uh, in my head at least, within uh, the same solar system as Galarian. The world of Soluna, as the people know it, is known as Eterna to the gods, as it is the eternal lock against the uh, forces of the Dark Tapestry, which are Elder Gods, basically. Which uh, I'm going to jump in here right now and say... Uh the world eterna it's spelled a-e-t-e-r-n-a -E -E yes so when you go to find this podcast and leave five star reviews on itunes please and thank you <laughs> uh you'll be able to find it better but uh you mentioned the dark tapestry is that uh the same dark tapestry in pathfinder uh yes 
Okay, so that's also in Starfinder in that what it's it's uh, I'm going to tell you quickly what it's called and what it is in Starfinder because it's it was such a quick uh, blurb. It's basically the the ribbon of space in between worlds. Uh, yeah, um, in Pathfinder, it's known as the place in between or beyond the stars, and mm-hmm. uh, it's really just basically a deep space where nothing else is so it's the same thing all right and it's uh it's where the elder gods yogg-sasoth uh azathoth uh, it's where all of them are um Mm -hmm. the court uh as it is um and so the forces from there the uncaring cosmic horror forces uh that is what eterna is was built by the gods 10,000 years ago to prevent their influence as much as possible. Um, like, there's still, like, little things, like, uh, and I am i can't say his fucking name right, Nithyagotep uh, is, um, like, a manipulator. He's one of the only elder gods that actually goes and directly fucks with people on an individual scale. Um, he still has some influence uh, because he's very powerful and very tricky. But um, sounds for familiar most, for the most for the most part. Uh, the the elder gods, you know, they don't just go around eating the planets uh, for the fuck of it or for the fun of it. I, I don't know if you don't say fuck. So. No, you, yeah, yeah, say fuck. Yeah, you're good. So, so these, uh, and and I'm just gonna briefly touch on this so I can get the joke, and then let's uh, move on to more about the the show. Okay. Uh, so these outer gods, these evil outer gods, are just these uh, dark villainous people. And this Nyarlathotep is that the same person? Yes. Okay, they're like the Joker, where they're like, you know, we're above all, you know, they're these big evil people, sure, but Nyarlathotep's like, yeah, I'm a trickster. I'm gonna fuck with everything, just. Uh, yeah, the, the analogy kind of fell away from there. Uh, uh, but, you know. A little more, I think, like Doctor Doom, honestly. Oh, see, that's good. He, he's a cool. planner. Nobody knows what he's up to, but he's up to something. Uh, and he he's a great. Oh, so it's not just it's not just chaos for chaos' sake. He's got some sort of uh, grand design behind the madness. One would assume, and that that's the thing about him, is you're not entirely sure if he's just causing chaos or why he's helping people or why he's not. People tend to believe that he has a reason, mm-hmm. but as in, as in a great old one, he may not. He may just be doing each individual thing for the fuck of it. He may be <laughs> like doing one or two things for a greater individual plan that's just to cause chaos. Uh, Or he may have this infinitely complex plan because he can literally see all of every reality. The outer gods are really powerful. Gotcha. Um, So, so Eterna Saluna is uh, this world that was made by the good gods. You know, I'll say good in quotation marks. Uh, to uh, offset, to safeguard the rest of existence? Uh, yes. Uh, I refer to them in uh, in world as the new gods. Um, oh. And w- 
as with uh, all of reality as quote unquote, all of reality as we know it, um, Asmodeus was actually one of the ones to spearhead uh, this project um, as he's also the one who penned the contract of creation and created Galarian and the material plane and all of that. Um, and so he uh, he and the other gods, most of them, even even Rovagug, the great rough beast, the destroyer of fucking everything, has a little bit of influence in the creation of Eterna. They use the power of ancient things, the gods themselves, and uh, a sort of axiomatic power all of its own uh, to act as this sort of like counterweight against the power of the dark tapestry. And Saluna uh, is title locked uh, with the sun, one side always facing the sun, one side always facing away. But its surface is determined by the rules that the gods set. So it's not just a scorched desert on one side and a frozen wasteland on the other. Um, and I believe there's actually a tidal lock planet in Starfinder as well. Oh, oh yeah, there absolutely is. Um, it's called Verses. It is uh, it's tidally locked, uh, but it is on one side uh, desert. Not scorched desert, but desert, and the other side is a uh, icy tundra. But in the in the sweet spot where the the two meet, there is this uh, ring. What are they called? Um, Equatorial. I can't remember that. Oh, yeah, well, it's not no. the equator. It's actually the meridian, and it's mm. uh, and along this ring, they call. I think it's called the Ring of Nations, and it, this is where the uh, quote unquote civilized people live. And although there are, you know tribes and cultures on either extreme end where the two were the were the sun blasted and the sun ignored meet it's this perfect kind of ecosystem where it's nice lush foresty world of uh of where habitable life can exist so that when we were first talking about uh your world back when we were talking about your world and the, the podcast before it started and all that, you told me it was tightly locked. I had no idea that, you know, a few short months later I'd come across this. And yeah, I didn't know that you knew that. But yeah, uh, Versys is totally tightly locked. It's uh, just not as uh, loved as, but it's not as loved by the gods as uh, Sulina is apparently. Right. And uh, that and loved by the gods is an interesting way to put it. Not a lot of gods actually love it. Uh, they essentially fear the old gods in a way, uh, mm -hmm. or the the eldritch gods, and so they they view it as this necessary precaution. But a lot of gods broke a lot of rules uh, to make it, um, and uh, a bit of a bit of exclusive lore. Uh, for you over here at Hexgrid Heroes. Um, Get a scoop. The, scoops uh, ahoy! <laughs> scoops ahoy! <laughs> Sorry, I um, couldn't resist. There, there, uh, Saluna does not have a core. It doesn't function like a normal planet. Um, gravity was dictated by the gods. Uh, oh, wow. So, um, 
it's built on the remains of many powerful creatures, including a dead god. No way. Uh, I, I I can delete this. Is it a god I know? No. Uh, it it was a um, it was a uh, a god I made up for the okay ser- for the purpose of this. Um, okay, so the so these these are the the new god, yeah, the new gods. Uh, Saluna Eterna is a chore for them. It's a constant like they don't... worry. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Um, because as you will find at a certain point, um, spoilers in the next few seconds, um, mm-hmm. as you will find out in a certain point, there are it, it's failing. Uh, it, it is faltering. And they're constantly worried about chinks in that armor. Uh, so, and like, they can't touch it, hardly. Because their added influence can uh, draw away from or overload the uh, magic that it itself generates. Oh, okay. That is why they have the champions those champions uh in part are your cast yes cool and uh you've been going what you just hit episode 31 uh yes i think at the recording of at the uh, recording of this yeah i think 31 32 somewhere in there 32 okay yeah so and so 31 and 32 listeners i got to guest star in and so uh yeah so check out the podcast it's 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 an adventure the entire way through uh, I, I love the characters. Getting to know them is important, so don't just jump to episodes thirty-one and thirty-two. But uh, getting to know all these fun in jokes, and if you join the hive, which I hope you do, we can laugh and talk about those in jokes and all the fun things they get up to because it's really fun. Like I had a hard time. That's why I threw it off to you. I didn't want to like, oh, it's this really funny podcast where they uh, go on these adventures and they fuck up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> It's not the intent. It's not the actual show. So I'm glad you, you, you said it much more eloquently. So yeah, definitely check uh, that out. It drops every Wednesday. Uh, yes, it, it drops cool. on uh, midnight on Wednesday, like between Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, that's if I don't go. It's only eleven. That's fine, and drop it manually. <laughs> um, our paper... and I appreciate those weeks. Yes. I, I I like doing that because I know that you've got to go to work and I want it to like help preload in your phone. Yeah. Uh, and for our patrons, uh, they get our other podcast, Dustress, on Wednesday instead of Friday when it drops. And I will, if I finish it early, I will usually drop the uh, Eterna episode in the private patron rooms for mm-hmm. uh, the people who help support us. Cool. And uh, let's let's briefly talk about Dustress because I don't want to know too much because we are both players in it. Yes, we are both players in it. And I've played in it before, uh, but I haven't gotten much further than we are now. So, oh, uh, so I know some stuff and some stuff has changed. And uh, Tracy, uh, who plays Adira in uh, slash Tava in Eterna is the GM of that one. And she does a, a fine job. And actually, I'm going to talk a little bit on this one. Uh, Dustress is uh, it's a home game they had. They made it into a podcast. So it was a turn technically. 
Oh, that's right. Uh, so, uh, so Dustress is this world that, ex- uh, for reasons we haven't uncovered yet, every ten years. Yes. Every ten years, uh, it grabs people from across worlds and universes. It seems, and all these things. And in our show, uh, three human men wake up in a swamp next to each other, and we have a uh, my character, a pre-colonial man from the Pacific Northwest, a uh, barbarian named Brigger. Uh, we have a mid nineteenth century gunslinger who's definitely not a cowboy. <laughs> played by our friend uh brian rafe of uh action forge who i will be uh getting a promo for if i can uh this week uh he's he does other great stuff if i can get him on we can gab about all the lore stuff we've been doing that'd be great for me too at some point but uh and then we have your character and why don't you tell us about your character who's not at all suspicious uh rick is not at all suspicious he's a 19 year old uh teenager from detroit he's kind of a he's kind of an asshole he's fairly paranoid about certain relatively specific things um but he was kind of fucked in the head about uh, certain things uh prior to his arrival um which immediately in episode one you can tell because of his assumptions of what's going on um but he's kind of he's very excited for what is happening in the world and his new abilities but he's also he he's thinking a lot he he uh he's wondering what put them there why they're in essentially a giant fish tank as what Mm -hmm. at least that's what he believes they're in a giant fish tank uh and i was and uh, I was going to say that this is a fish tank kind of world in that uh, when we arrive, we're right next to a border and uh, these men are all from real world earth. We didn't really base them off of actual historical figures, but we, in this, in this game, we transplanted three earth men to this fantasy world where we uh, discover eventually that we have magic and uh, there are fantasy races. We come across, uh, we, I don't think we've come across dwarves yet, but we came across an elf, uh, a halfling, a gnome, a drow, and have we come across a dwarf? I think so. I think in the original uh, meeting party, there was a dwarf. We just didn't really talk to to him or Yeah, he didn't really speak. They didn't really speak uh, any of the languages we did. So, uh, but uh, if you could talk about the, uh, the, the truly stellar magic system that uh, you and Tracy, I don't know who made it, but the, the one that you guys uh, convinced me about and, or uh, told me about, and I was sold immediately. Um, but before I forget, Rick's from modern day Detroit. I forgot his time period. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, yes, uh, Tracy uh, is the one who uh, had the idea. Um, and I helped her kind of fine tune a few points here and there. But overall, um, instead of, you know, being a wizard or a sorcerer and having spell slots, um, you basically end up with arcane, psychic, or divine casting. And uh, that's decided on a roll. And you instead spend hit points to cast spells. Uh, there, there are a few tweaks, like uh, we all have a minimum... Uh, d10 hit die that's maximized at every level so that we don't 
become really shitty really fast <laughs> um yep. but like a first level spell costs 10 hit points cantrips and orisons they're free um <laughs> level two spell costs 20 and as we level up once we hit a certain level i believe level five our how much it costs to cast will go down so as soon as we've got 70 hit points we can cast a level seven spell i think we're level three right now and we've already ca casted uh several like level six um a couple level seven spells through a combination of, of healing. Yes, yeah. if Brigard would. Uh, <laughs> Brigard is a lifesaver to the group. He he's able to <laughs> heal us. Um, it's 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 funny when I made the character. Uh, I was like, oh, I'm gonna play. I I usually play a uh, support kind of character, healer type. Like now, this time I'm gonna be different. I'm gonna be a a quiet, less intelligent barbarian. And you know what I do most episode, guys? Rub my shoulders and heal me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's Dustress. It's a great show. It drops every other week. Please, please, please check out these podcasts. These are dear friends of mine that do these podcasts. Check us out on The Hive. We would love to chat with you. Uh, right now, we're not really doing one shots, but uh, things are in the works to maybe bring back uh, a couple things. Um our friend Robin, who I mentioned once or twice in this podcast, brought to our attention a uh, a new Carly Ray Jepsen tabletop RPG. And if that doesn't scream fan episode, Patreon content, bonus episode across different shows, I don't know what does. So uh, definitely come check us out at the Hive of Edgar Thuck. You did it. Oh, actually, you know, now that I read it, it does it does read exactly as it sounds. I always thought you were just kind of like. You know, you, you have a friend that has a weird name, like, no, it's just this. I'm like, yeah, it's just this for you for 25 years, and you know how to say it now. But no, I, I get it now. So yes, please come hang out with us in the hive. Um, and with that, I'm going to kind of wrap it up again. Thanks again, Sean, for being here. Follow you where on Twitter? At uh, Eldritch Dream, at Aeterna P, and that's with an A, uh, A-E, and at Dustress Podcast. Uh, links will be provided for all the uh, social media stuff, the Hive stuff. Uh, links, pictures will be posted of that truly terrifying uh, Kasatha skeleton. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting a bandana over the mouth, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, and yeah, uh, stay tuned. In two weeks, we're going to be having our very first episode of the full cast of the Hexgrid Heroes. Uh, so yes, once again, thank you listeners. Thank you, Sean. And I don't have a sign off yet. Have fun, Starfinders. <laughs> that's good. That's that's real good. I'm keeping that. <laughs>